Welcome to Distill365. The show where Steve and Madame distill Office 365. We're so laid back, we're not even having a posh intro today. Tell us where we are. We are in sunny Barcelona. That's enough, I'm going to talk now. Um, <laughs> sun's shining. Well, Maria, I need to give Moraine some space. He's got a really, really good cigar on. What cigar are you running? It's a uh, Davidoff uh, Winston Churchill late hour, and I'm actually cheating a little bit because it's not even noon yet, and I'm already smoking a late hour. So this is more like an early hour. That's assuming that we actually went to bed and we're not still running from the night before. <laughs> yeah, listen, I know you guys are packing up on Twitter, so you know we're having, we're on a road trip. We're on a boys' road trip in Barcelona. Um, we did the Formula One, and uh, that provoked a conversation about end users and Formula One drivers, which I think we're going to get onto in a little bit. Um, we're running a single microphone this time, so we're going to keep tapping each other whenever we've got some comment. Yeah. And the upside is that I don't have to let Moran disturb me all the time. <laughs> but we were just sitting here in the sunshine um, uh, eating our croissants and drinking our coffee and stuff and, and just talking and we kept saying we should be recording this we got into licenses and the complications around it user and adoption user and adoption. Uh, yeah all those things yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah we'll touch on those a little bit but let's let's touch on the old formula one stuff that we talked about yesterday we've had two great days in uh, circuit de catalona i'm going to just pass over and moraine can give his first time you guys you've done a test session isn't it so it was testing tell me what you actually saw enjoyed so we got here on a thursday morning we rented out a car we went to the circuit de, uh, de catalonia which is an amazing, amazing circuit. Uh, half an hour drive from the airport. It's located around in the mountains. So wherever you're sitting, you can see the mountains. Um, and it was indeed like the first uh, test sessions that I've ever seen. So the first time I actually saw modern Formula One cars, actually. And um, it it was beautiful. It was loud. It was fast it was fast we did a time uh, we? we tried yes. to work out how fast they were going down the the straight and decided they were they were just short of 300 kilometers an hour so just uh, just over 200 miles an hour and that was just an hour stopwatch timing them along the one kilometer straight at less than 12 seconds from beginning to end they were fast it, it was it was beautiful and i get it people are saying like oh with the old uh, v12 v10 engines they would just be howling and the the noise would be super crazy uh, but i i think they're they do we we had a whole conversation about the sounds of the cars what these days and they're they're growling more than howling so <laughs> one thing that we, at some point we were sitting next to some uh, nice uh, curves I'm not talking about uh, the girls there. I'm talking about the actual circuit. Those curves were nice as well. Yes, yes. Um, and um, uh, they're really... The, the sound... <laughs> I am distracted <laughs> now. The, the sound was really... It was raw. It was, it was yeah. just pure raw power that was in there. And that was, that was beautiful to hear. Yeah. So what, what were we thinking? We were thinking about... Um, the whole process for, for creating these cars. So they cost just over a, a million to build and there's about five or six million in each car in investment of time and all the computing time, kind of the CSDs and the air tunnels and shit like that. But it all comes down to the guy at the front driving the car. 
and we we sat and had quite a conversation in the stand as these things were were driving past us about whether we could equate our Formula One driver with our our end users, because you spend I don't know how many months getting an Office 365 project together. Um, and behind the scenes, of course, I'm sure you guys are all aware of it. You've got network experts, risk experts, security experts. You've got Microsoft high-level design stuff. Working out whether you're going to bring your own certificate when you're having customer locks box. Find out whether you're going to do conditional access. Because Microsoft are introducing just so many new functionalities. So all those decisions need to be made by a team of people. And then you basically put it in front of an end user. Just like this guy in the Formula One car. And... Uh, We'd, uh, we, we sat there and had one conversation as to uh, who gets blamed most if the car goes off the track. Is it the engineers who didn't tighten the screw tight enough? Or is it the driver who was uh, not focused enough or just pushing a little bit too hard just to see how fast he could get around these S-bends at the end of a one-kilometer straight when he's still doing 300 mile an hour, less than 100 meters from the bend, and he has to wang on the brakes. Uh, hopefully he's going to slow down enough to go around the bend. But just like our end users how do you ensure that what you have spent six months building is going to be exactly what the business needs and it will not crash after the first turn well that's microsoft's trust i guess yeah here we go so the end user trusts like those mechanics are trusted to get that car done for the driver yeah they they trust the the platform the office 365 platform to actually be there for them when they need it and and how they want to use it so if an f1 driver good morning uh, wants to really uh, tap on the gas very hard and and make sure it does not spin out maybe the user wants to do the same thing so he wants to uh, do his business process in a really um Solid, secure, solid, secure, volatile, whatever Volatile way. is going to explode, <laughs> not <laughs> volatile. Explode, yeah. <laughs> so he wants to do something really crazy, really fast, and he wants to make sure that the, the platform is there to support him and that it will not break or crash or burn in, burst right. into flames. Or yeah. I get it. So, so Microsoft, thank you for that platform, which is quite cool. I should let you know we're actually on the, we're on the roof of, uh, of our apartment block here in Barcelona. So we are in the sunshine. We're getting beautiful Spanish ladies coming past going, hola, and saying hi to us as we're uh, recording this podcast. Once more, it sucks to be us. Yeah, yeah, we seem to be. But it is turning into a boys' weekend. We've had some nice whiskey, and you're gonna, we're going to drop in a lot of shots on some of the whiskeys we've tasted this, uh, this, this, this trip. Um, and uh, we did fast cars and all that kind of stuff. And we might get down to being touristic, a little bit touristic, and uh, and catch some of this wonderful architecture here in Barcelona. But going back to the user desktop, trying to pull together an Office 365 project is a complicated process, just from the end user perspective. There was a, a couple of tweets that we were following the other day about governance, and how governance is kind of all negative, and what you should not do. You must not let the users do this, and you must not let the users do that. And I'm a believer, as you've heard from Moraine and myself, that, hey, give them everything. Let them learn. Uh, and somebody came up with a, a really cool G word, which is not governance anymore, but guidance. Hey, yes, go on and use your Microsoft Forms and be guided to use it this way. Uh, so, yeah, take it to an extreme, if you like. Hit that bend too hard. Watch the tires get loose. You know, as the back end slides out and you lose a few tenths. You win or you learn. 
<laughs> you win or you learn. I like that, my friend. I like that. I'm doing most of the talking here because he's just enjoying this cigar in the sunshine. So, Anyway, so end users, lots of work to prepare for them. Uh, and then they get in the car, they get in front of their screen, uh, and then they use what they've given you. And um, basically, are you just hoping that what you've given them is actually what they need? Or is there some science behind this? You've just done this adoption qualification, haven't you? We sat talking about that a little earlier today. And uh, I was... I was yeah, it kind of went around Twitter around a lot of the uh, the Office 365 and SharePoint folks. And uh, I haven't done it yet. I'm not sure that I, I will do it. Maybe I'm a, I'm a little bit cynical about this kind of stuff. Because I think the world changes too quickly for uh, so a lot of these learnings uh, and online learnings to be of, of not long-term value, if you like. I don't agree. Because uh, adoption and change management is something that is not rapidly evolving it is what it is and it's it's just pampering the users to make sure that they actually use the platform and make sure that the platform is ready for them and that the users are ready for the platform there's another one so that's a p word then pampering actually i don't like pampering let's go from pampering to preparing the user pampering is <laughs> that sounds more business focused <laughs> i agree yes so it's about preparing the user but there's still the team that ends up deciding whether or not we're going to use Teams or not. Still the teams deciding whether or not we're going to use communication sites. It's still the teams are not deciding whether or not they're going to roll out Sway or whether that's really you know not business professional enough. Plus you've got all the other decisions about where the data is stored, especially you know in today's world of uh, uh, um, you know European-based data and geolocating all your data. I wonder how many decisions we actually have to make in Office 365 nowadays. Have a, that's true. So this year's lottery is we, you, to win the prize, which is um, Moren's cigar stub as smoked in Barcelona. Okay. Uh, how many decisions do you think we have to make for Office 365? I have no idea. It must be in hundreds, maybe thousands? Definitely hundreds, yeah. That's it. Okay, just definitely hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, so there we go. So we did a, a bit of Formula One two days, which was really cool. And uh... maybe some interesting, an interesting thought. So if you want to start up your own Formula One team, to, it's the same thing as uh, a client uh, comes to you and says, okay, we want to go to Office 365. What do we need? So if you same thing, if you want to start up a new Formula One team, you need to have a number of things. So you need to do your R&D, which in Office 365 relates to um, doing the work to see what your uh, customer wants and uh, how you can give that to them in the best way. Um, you, need but a, you need a couple of hundred million dollars to get started. Same thing in Office 365. <laughs> I mean, maybe not a few hundred million, but at least you need to do some uh, some study. You need to work out what they, what you want. You can't just give Office 365 to the customer and say, okay, here it is, and now you just go forth and everything will work. So you need to do some figuring out about what you want to do and how you want to have that delivered. Um, an interesting thing in the Formula One is that... Um, you also need to have your driver. So for us, it's a customer. For it, but in Formula One, your driver needs to come with sponsors. 
So if you extrapolate that to Office 365, if, for example, the finance department is your customer stakeholder, do they need to come with their own sponsors, which would be the financial director, which could be the CEO, which could be the board? So I think there's a really interesting analogy there yeah absolutely to see yeah maybe that's something that we need to work out a little more all right let's, let's take that through that's a good idea because we talk about the end user and the and potentially their drivers being the kind of thing that we need to be focused on but you're right behind the scenes because that's where most of the the work is done even though it, it sort of gets to the end user is success winning success in formula one Winning success in Office 365 is that you have a user that is more efficient in what they do every day, happy to be doing it, really likes the new toys, and more importantly, is of a mindset where they know that this is going to be unstable in a nice way, with new things appearing every month and new features on their Pro Tools. So there's a mindset change. So let's take that to the other side. Um, we have our stakeholders, because unless you've got top-down business support your projects gonna fail so I guess in a Formula One team you have your shareholders and the money men uh, plus that core of, of real experienced fanatics if you like just the same as you know the Office 365 community is fanatics it's fanatical about what we do and if you don't believe me just look at how many SharePoint Saturdays are, are every weekend and, and how many hundreds of people are involved every single weekend in their own time doing this stuff so we get the so stakeholders. Would, would those be the fans sitting in the grandstands in the Formula One? Or would they be the fans? So, so our fans on our Formula One analogy are the people in the audience at a SharePoint Saturday. Yeah, because for example, when we were walking around the circuit, we saw a lot of people wearing Ferrari red T-shirts, for example. So they are really fans of the Ferrari team brand, name it whatever you want. So. All right, let's just stick with stakeholders for now. <laughs> but I quite like the idea of, of uh, your board and your direction, your strategy, because it all needs a strategy. And those governance decisions we talked about, they are a kind of strategic direction that you're, that you're choosing from. So, yeah, it's interesting. So uh, we came to hear some Formula One engines, watch the testing. Uh, the idea of the testing days is not just like a three-hour race where you get to see the cars for three hours. We got them four hours in the morning and four hours in the afternoon. Uh, we saw a few. Uh, we didn't see the accidents close by where they, the cars went off, uh, but we certainly saw a couple of breakdowns. We actually did see one accident happen, which was a tour bus crashing into one of the cars outside of the circuit not not the formula one car no no indeed just a passenger car driving around on the inside of the circuit probably i don't know moving some media people around or something but that was that was fun to watch <laughs> we were we were about 200 meters away from it wasn't we and you could see it was going to happen for whatever reason both of the drivers of this these minibus and this uh, bus the visitors on just weren't watching each other one drove in to the uh, inner uh, road of the circuit and with the one was driving down the inner road of the circuit and uh, they definitely hit because we could hear it 100 meters away uh, and then we were just laughing it, it really was funny all right i forgot where i was with these cars <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, cool. Well, I think that takes it. I think that, uh, nice analogy, it takes a lot of people to make Office 365 work. We, we talked about that a few seconds ago before we turned the microphone on. That it does take a lot of different skills and a lot of things to get it coordinated. Um, security is, is such a, I'm going to call it a limitation. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to make it secure, you're not going to get any functionality. And if you don't have any security, you get lots of functionality, but then it becomes insecure. So you need that kind of balance in there. The, the risk departments. The, oh, well. There's more analogies. Of course, of course there, there are tons of them. So, for example, uh, if you're running the, the Formula One team, you want to get your car on the track as much as possible to gather your test data. The problem, nice. is, the problem is, if it's running around doing crazy lap times, um, everyone is going to see it and everyone is going to see the lap times that you're doing. So you want to keep it secure. You don't want the other teams to know how good your car is. You don't want the other teams to know what technology you have. But then again, you need to get it out there. You need to test drive it. and. What we saw, for example, one one of the cars stopped the in Ferrari. front of us. Mr. The, the, Vettel. Yeah. And um, so the, the first thing that they do before they lift it up and, and, and uh, bring it back to the pit lane is they cover it up with a, how do you call that? A, a sheet Ferrari of, red cover. A cover mm. to make sure that nobody sees what's the on there. The technology in detail. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a really good analogy for that as well. Um, and if we're on, on analogy, uh, the pit lane, so every car needs to come in a few times to get new tires. Um, so those, that pit crew, that is your help desk, that's your support. <laughs> so they need to make sure that your issue in Formula One being your tires are worn off. Uh, so they need to make sure that you get back up and running in 3.4 seconds. Two seconds for a pit stop. Yeah, that's true. All right, I can uh, I can see her podcast. Uh, sorry, a, a blog post uh, coming here. <laughs> Already on it. <laughs> so you'll be able to uh, see that. I tell you what, we'll also do is we I, I got loads of pictures uh, from uh, from the weekend. So we'll we'll drop those onto to this podcast page as well. Hey, we've we've talked about only part of some of the stuff that we wanted to deal with today. Um, so let's talk about whiskey because unfortunately. Uh, or fortunately, I'm not sure what uh, which way around to look at this. We have been visiting a few whiskey bars while we've been here and tasting some interesting whiskies. Just, just a few. <laughs> just a few. <laughs> we having so much fun. Last night, we were sitting in a, a bar called the Bankers Bar, uh, part of the Mandalay Oriental Mandarin. Hotel. Mandarin, yeah. sorry, yeah. Oriental chain. And uh, we looked at our watches, and it's like quarter to two in the morning. I mean, you know, both of us thought it was going to be about 10 or 11 and the evening was moving on, but we've been enjoying ourselves with, uh, with the whiskey's been drinking and enjoying the conversation with the bar. So we'll touch on those a little bit because we actually recorded them live, got the old phone out and did a bit of a podcast uh, at the bar describing the whiskies. So I don't know what you want to start off with first of all, because we've also did the Brickladi whiskey tasting as well last week and we, we spoke to the whiskey ambassador for... Um, how does he say pronounce it? Brooklady. Brooklady, as it says. Yeah. And we got to taste uh, a number of those whiskies, which were really good fun. Um, and uh, we we sat down with him and talked about his job, where he 
he had three whiskey tastings last week. And basically, uh, when you asked him how you how do you stay sober, uh, his reply was, uh, you have to spit a lot. If you're going to become a whiskey ambassador, you have to spit a lot. But uh, so we, we, we're going to, uh, I'll tidy that up. And uh, basically, let's tell you about that now. Uh, and so, yes, Marin and I uh, in Antwerp, uh, what was the name of the, the store? The store is called uh, House Verlo. And uh, it is my go-to cigar shop for 10 years now. Uh, they also have a really nice collection of uh, spirits, uh, whiskies, vodkas. Uh, they also even have really nice wines. Uh, I used to get my uh, a really nice uh, Rosé Cava, which used to be the house wine of the uh, number one restaurant in the world uh, in Spain. I forgot the name something i think um and you could buy it there as well it was pretty cheap it was like 12 or 15 euros or something and that stuff was just amazing uh, well we sat down with uh, a bunch of other people and effectively uh, tasted six whiskies one of which was completely sold out now uh, it was uh, uh, 1986 30 years old whatever we'll go into the details on it uh, we got we, we we got a listing for it so We'll get that together. So anyway, uh, I'm just going to say goodbye now and get Moraine to say goodbye too because we're not going to come back. We're just going to play out the interview uh, from that uh, whiskey tasting. And uh, yeah, we'll, we may come back with some opinions on the whiskies that we tasted. So from sunny Barcelona on episode 8 of Office 365 Distelos. Yes, I remembered. He, he came up with the word distilled in Spanish the other day. He said, hey, we must call ourselves Office 365 Distelos, if that is the right Spanish word. Because me and Lambert... Or something like that, yeah. Yeah, or something like that. We, uh, it was like one forty in the morning. It was after a rather nice bourbon or two or three. And uh, the other thing about Barcelona, just to, to really finish this off, they don't serve whiskey in small quantities. So, <laughs> one glass... It's got at least three shots in it, so there you go. Anyway, so it's goodbye from me on episode eight of Office 365 Distilled, and... Thank you so much for listening. This is Maran. This is Steve. And let's now go on to Antwerp to our Brokladi whiskey tasting. So what you will hear now is an interview with uh, Nick Bynes. And Nick is the uh, brand ambassador for the Benelux for Brokladi. And this interview took place after we had uh, six really nice uh, Brookladi uh, whiskey tastings. Uh, so that might uh, explain our slur a little bit. Um, and we also have a lot of background noise of all people um, moving uh, all kind of stuff around uh, after the tasting. So enjoy. So you said you've been doing this for two years. What have you been doing before? Yeah, so um, I've been doing this on a full-time base with Brookladi for the last two years for the region of Belgium, Netherlands and Luxembourg. Uh, before that, I was just I was teaching. I, I studied to be a teacher. And, and what you could call as society learnings or, or child philosophy uh, in, in one course and on the other course it was music. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I've always been a passionate... Um, not so much musician, but uh, collector of vinyl records, house funk and disco from from the early 70s till till the 
the 90s and and and, and, and my old DJ collection then I would love that <laughs> um, so uh, but apart from that I was just um, during my studies I, I was was making cocktails and cocktail bars and etc I was passionate about um, spirits and so uh, when I started off teaching I I immediately missed creating cocktails. So I, I, I started my own company. It was called Apples and Booze Consultancy. And uh, fairly soon, I started working together with Brickladdy uh, with the botanist gin only, not the malts, um, as I specialize in cocktails with uh, botanicals, with foraged ingredients. So that was a match with the Brickladdy distillery who is still making this beautiful gin based on foraged ingredients. So uh, that, that's how we got in touch. And it's, it was, it's, it's, it's not a joke. They took me to Isla and I, I got to know the distillery and I, I was always very, uh, very stubborn uh, in the way that I was, I always said that Apples and Booze Consultancy had to be an independent consultancy agency. Uh, and I would never work for a big brand and then I completely fell in love with the distillery and I, and I, I still remember getting on a plane saying to myself, if they ever going to ask me to, to do this for real, like, like to get involved with the company, I'm just going to jump for it. And that's what happened. Cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. this is a full-time job? It's a full-time job. <laughs> so how many whiskey do you have to drink on a daily or weekly basis to... Um, uh, that's an interesting question because I did kind of train myself in the way that um, um, you don't have to drink a lot, I guess, uh, but you do have to taste and you have to do horizontal tastings. So what I did was after, especially the first year I did this job on a full, uh, uh, full-term base, um, I would come home even after the tastings, pour myself four drams and I would compare it all night. Um, sometimes four, it would four different, four different yeah, drams. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, it would be four different sherry casks, or it would be a bourbon, a sherry, a Madeira. Uh, so just to, to train my palate, you know. Um, so it's it's you don't have to drink a lot, but you have to drink a lot of different drams. Yeah, I guess kind of do it regularly. Yeah, yeah. So if I wanna be a better whiskey connoisseur, better taster, you have to spit. Oh, and not get drunk yeah that's oh. the biggest tip i can give oh. to people who want to get involved and want to train their themselves is go to fairs but don't tempt to drink it because because you don't taste when you're drunk <laughs> it's oh, a that's, it's that's a heart a reality that's it's a, a heart reality no, no, no. we, we have a problem spitting the scottish way backwards, backwards. <laughs> backwards. spit it nice. backwards into your throat yeah, we we have a problem buying whiskey for investment. Yeah, you know we go, hey, yeah, buy this whiskey; it will be worth a lot of money. Yeah, well, we gotta survive first. It's got to last. So I think I'm spitting isn't the same kind of thing, really. I think I'm fairly lucky that, although you wouldn't say it, I don't like to be stupid drunk. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so, so it's never been my buzz, and it's always been about the flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. If you could encapsulate in a couple of short sentences, Brickladic, what makes it different to other whiskies? Well, first of all, how do you pronounce it? Because oh, you, yes. That's I'm, I'm, I'm already pronouncing it in a certain way, but I hear you say, say it in a... It's, it's, that, that, that's interesting, because we are doing the interview in English. And if you would say it in the English way, you would say Brook 
laddie because the British, the Americans, and also the French, they don't have a sound in their language. So they have a hard time pronouncing it the right way. It's actually Bruch Laddie. Um, okay. So it's, it, both are good. The most important thing is that you don't pronounce the last two letters, the C and the H. So that's, it's not Bruch Laddie. Completely But wrong. it's just Bruch okay. Laddie or Bruch Laddie, depending on your accent. And is that the Gaelic? Yeah, it comes from Gaelic. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I struggled. To, to, I'm not going to do it because uh, I can't. Uh, but it comes from Brook and Laddie. And it, it's, uh, Brook means by the coastline. Uh, and Laddie is like the foot of the mountain. It's where the foot of the mountain and, and the coastline meet. And that's how, uh, how the village was called uh, or is called Brook Laddie. And it's, it's just the distillery, just as most of the other distilleries has taken over the name of the, of the, the little village it's, it's, uh, it's located cool. in. And can, yeah. you, can you also take a visit there? Yeah, sure, you can, you can pay a visit. We're fairly known for our, our, our very uh, in-depth tours. Uh, there's actually no hidden chambers. You can, you can walk into every uh, Except warehouse. Except the black art chamber. Probably. Well, there's no black yeah. art chamber, but oh, the, okay, it okay. is a big secret. But yeah. no, uh, you, can, you can actually visit everything and uh, you just book it online. Uh, go to the brooklady.com uh, page and you just uh, click uh, tours and you just book it. Nice, I will. So we're, we're, we're clearing up here after a, a tasting. Yeah. And uh, we... That's all the sounds in the background. Yeah, yeah, they're putting tables okay. and things away. Okay. So how many of these do you end up doing a week? I have uh, three this week. It can be four. Uh, I think four is about the max. I, I've right. done so much. Uh, but... popular? Uh, it is pretty popular, uh, and it's also the way you approach it as a brand. Um, Brickladdy invests in people, Brickladdy invests in their story. And so for, for such a small distillery, we do have a big amount of brand ambassadors all over the world just covering our story um, because um, we like the dialogue. It's so important to us. We, we're, we're not just discussing this one evening, this one dram. We're discussing the future of whiskey industry and, and the, or, or the Scottish whiskey in this, uh, industry and, and, and maybe in the bigger picture, the future of the whiskey industry. So, um, so dialogue is, 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 is so important to us. How, uh, how do you see the whiskey evolving in the future? Not so bright, to be honest. Mm. Um, I, I that, that's the whole point of, of what I do. I try to convince people of the power they have as a consumer, as an end consumer. Um, every penny or every cent or euro you invest is, is, is an investment in a project you believe in. It's here's 10 euros, here's 100 euro. I like what you do, I love it, and I want you to continue to, to do it in that way. And if we keep on investing in these factories, then that's the future for our whiskey industry or for every other industry in the world. Um, so um, I think we have to be conscious what we do with our time and or our money. Yeah. 
We've seen over the last uh, couple of years the whiskey industry kind of trying to follow the gin industry and sort of become popular in the mm. bars, and yeah. we're kind of seeing these special kind of whiskies appearing. We we the, tasted the stout edition. We we tasted James the Jameson the stout, stout edition, edition was interesting. For so, what kind of plans do you guys have for uh, you know doing a variety, or are you just going to stick with what we know best and, and take it from there? Um, I think uh, uh, what you can hear in the background is a whole rack of Geneva being dragged into place. <laughs> That's okay. So, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, so, what was the question again? Uh, <laughs> so we we, we said yeah. we t- whiskey's getting sort of they're trying to sort of make them more popular with younger people. Like yeah. What is Brickletti going to do? We're just I, I, we 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 keep on investing in the, in the, in in our beliefs in terroir and and in the barley varieties. Um, so we just um, a couple of months ago, um, about half a year ago, we distilled uh, rye whiskey Everybody for um, for yeah. the for the first. Uh, I think uh, in almost 200 years for, for a commercial purpose, we distilled rye in Scotland. Um, so that's pretty exciting. I've, I've tasted, it's maybe a little bit more than half a year ago, because half a year ago I tasted it, it was, it was matured for six months. So it's probably about a year, year and a half old right now. Um, so that's very exciting because it's only going to be released the soonest in, in a year and a half yeah we just bought our own field so we're gonna mark f- your calendars yes yeah. okay. uh so we're gonna we're, we're investing in 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 our sources so 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 we have a uh, a very interesting barley program we're, we're focusing on on our source uh we do believe that that barley is not just a commodity to to make whiskey no it's so much more it's it's the foundation of the flavor of our whiskies so we're gonna keep on investing in that. We're gonna grow our own barley um, and see where it goes from there. So uh, this is the traditional Scottish I th- distillery. I think this is what Brickladdy is. We're the pro- progressive. We're the progr- progressive. We're yes. the progressive Hebridean distillers. We're young. We think we make progress- progressive whiskey um, with a fresh take on the industry. And the funny thing about that is that fresh take on the industry is just how we made whiskey a hundred years ago because cool. that's what we do we just make whiskey the traditional way like a hundred years ago yeah all right cool well we've tasted five or six of them six. today yeah six of them which were yeah. really cool what did i you understand that you don't remember uh, yeah, everything I forgot, anymore I about, after about yeah. four or yeah. five <laughs> so why didn't you just give us a quick two minute recap over the whiskies that we tasted tonight yeah, so we only did the Brocladi brand. So at the Brocladi distillery, we produce three different types of, uh, three different brands of, of whiskey. We have the Brocladi uh, whiskey, the, the same name as the, the village and the distillery, which is unpeated whiskey. We have Port Charlotte whiskey, which is uh, heavily peated whiskey. We adore that whiskey. I love oh, we that. that. Was I really love that. That's that. really Actually, cool my daughter's named Charlotte. Oh, and when she nice. was born, I got a bottle of that Port Charlotte <laughs> because it had her, her name on it. And I just, I just love it. That's, That's so cool. That's yeah. so cool. No, I think, uh, I think Port Charlotte's an amazing dram, especially if you, if you, if you, if you compare it to that typical I love flavor. I think Port Charlotte really yeah, stands yeah. out in its Absolutely. in its unique yeah. style. Anyway, tonight, uh, what did we taste tonight? And so we yeah. we have one third brand. It's Octomore. But tonight we only had the Brickladdy uh, dram, so it's all it was all unpeated. So we could um, we could really uh, get. Ooh, that's really. 
really loud. Um, so no, we could really go in depth into the unpeated whiskey range. And so um, we could really focus on the barley management that we do. Um, so what we, we started off with the Scottish barley, uh, the classic laddie who is, only has Scottish barley in there. Then we went to the Isla Barley 2010, uh, six years old whiskey with only uh, barley grown on Isla. We have the organic coming from uh, the Mick Coles from farms up north, uh, a vintage, only bourbon uh, aged. Then we had the bear barley, which is such a unique dram. Uh, that, was, that was special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, that, that six row barley, uh, that's, that's really unique in flavor. Um, uh, that's a vintage from 2008, so that's a nine years old on bourbon. Then we had the Black Art Five, uh, absolute killer dram. And that then very, to very top cool. it off, Hersverloh, um, where we did the tasting today. Amazing place, by the way. Uh, they sponsored the, the 1986 uh, rare cask, uh, which is uh, a full-term maturation sherry uh, dram uh, of 30 years old. So that no, was that, that was, was really very special. That blew my head off. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Cool. Even after we had that 22-year-old Connemara yeah. at your place, yeah. this this was just out of this world. Cool. Yeah. I'm an Irish yeah. guy. Okay, I cool. I like my Irish yeah. whiskey. So. <laughs> We do tend to do those. Well, excellent. Thank you very much for uh, some time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, for the evening, it was really good. Highly recommend it to anybody that gets a chance to uh, to go through the range. Cool, and, thanks. Uh, recommend any of the bottles, really. Anything we've tasted Absolutely, tonight yeah. was very well. Even with this horrible cold that I've got. <laughs> Don't ask me why, but I was tasting tobacco in nearly every whiskey I had. <laughs> but that's just the way my brain's working today. It'll be better for next week. All right, thank you very much indeed. Hey, you're thank welcome, you. guys. Thank you so much for... Uh, Everything, yeah, cool. Awesome. Bye-bye. Cool.